Welcome to So Much More. I'm Jody Nisnik. This is a podcast designed to help you create space for God. Jesus, in some of his last words found in John 16, 12, stated, There is so much more I want to tell you. He then pointed to the Spirit as the one who would come, who would further his teaching by bringing his word to life for us. So much more creates space for God to reveal his truth through his word. Today, I'm excited to have Kristen Poole with me as we have a conversation around Genesis chapter 37 and what the Lord is teaching her. Kristen is the women's minister at Dallas Bible Church. So welcome, Kristen. So glad you're here. Thank you. It's fun to be here. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to us. Yes. Well, I'm a Texas transplant. I'm originally um, a Midwesterner from Ohio, um, the oldest of four kids, and um, went to college and um, met a whole bunch of people who had been trained at Dallas Seminary. And so that's kind of the short story of how it ended up in Texas. Uh, I've been here for 13 years now, and um, I did what my parents told me not to do, which is marry a Texan. <laughs> uh, so met my husband seven years ago um, after seminary. And um, so we've been married six years and we have two boys, one who's almost four and then one who turned one today. <gasps> so we full, full schedule. Um, my husband is a high school teacher and an instructional coach. And yeah, we live in North Dallas and I've been... Um, privileged to serve at Dallas Bible in a whole bunch of roles for the last 12 years. So, um, the last few have been in women's ministry. I love it. Well, happy birthday to your little guy. That's super fun. Well, uh, so I want to give us a quick reminder of the passage we're in. So we're at the very beginning of Joseph's story, which starts in Genesis chapter 37. And in the previous podcast where we did the scripture experience, I walked you through the context of that passage. And we also walked through the reading and the contemplation of that passage, but I also want to read it for you now as a quick reminder. Um, but there's something that can be a little confusing about this passage. So I also want to put that reminder in here. Uh, Joseph's father is goes by two different names in this passage. He is called Jacob and he is called Israel. So I don't want you to get tripped up on that. That's the same person. So let me read this before we dive in. So this is Genesis 37 verses one through 11. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him an ornate robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? 
will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Okay, so there's a lot packed in to that introduction to Joseph's story. And we did this as a Lectio, just asking the Lord to draw our attention to what it is that he wanted us to notice a particular word or a phrase. Um, sometimes it could even be something different than that. So Kristen, as you entered into this, where did the Lord take you and what did he draw your attention to? Well, the word that stuck out more than anything was that word hate. I think it's so punctuated in the text. They hated him. They hated him. Uh, I, it reminds me when I hear the word hate it reminds me of the rule that we had growing up in our house, which was, you don't say that you hate a person ever. Um, and I guess I'm thinking about that a lot now as I'm raising a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And so that language of, um, discord in a family, um, I noticed it just because that word hate keeps coming up, but also just, you feel it emotionally mm-hmm. felt this sort of, wow, that brothers would feel that toward one another. Yeah. It's such a decisive word. There's no room for, oh, they didn't like him very much. No, they hated him. It's just, yes. yeah. And I think about my own, you know, I'm one of four kids. I think about my own complicated relationship with my siblings. And there's so many layers of feelings that you feel normally with siblings and emotions. Um, but primarily and underneath it is just this intense love. And so the thought of a hatred of family is, is this grievous, like striking thing that like the patriarchal family that's supposed to show God's love to the world, you know, here they are hating each other. Yeah. It sends off signals of there's something, there's something wrong going on here. Yeah. There's something very broken and that will obviously unfold before us as we continue in Joseph's story. Uh, So, okay. So the Lord drew your attention to the word hate. You've talked a little bit about why you think that is, is there anything else that he started to talk to you specifically about uh, with that word? Yes. You know, the, this season I think is the Kickstarter to my discipleship of my boys. Um, the three-year-old who's almost four is now starting to like seemingly listen to what I'm saying and respond and ask questions and deal with emotions. And so, um, even in the last few weeks, as we've started him in a new daycare, realizing like, I can fill a role of teaching him to trust God. Who is God? Like even in the car this week, he said something like, God is always with me. And I said, yes, that's so true. He is with you. And he said, I miss him. And then I just started thinking, okay, what does a three-year-old mean that he misses God and he knows God's with him? And, you know, that hasn't been the case really up until these last, um, maybe 
maybe six months that we've been able to get past, like just caretaking for our, my kids into mm. the level of like teaching them about who God is and helping them experience the world. So, um, it, this passage was a reminder to me of really the high calling of parenthood and discipleship. Mm. The passage in verse two begins with, this is the account of Jacob's family line. And so the responsibility for a lot of the dysfunction that we're going to start to see really lies with Jacob. So it's a reminder that as a parent, as a, a Christian parent, that, you know, there's a high calling to discipleship and, um, what takes place in the family. And there's, there is going to be an account that I'm going to have to give for, for my contribution to the way our family um, operates and the way that we either move like in Christ likeness or away from Christ likeness. And hopefully, you know, this passage is kind of an example of an extreme example of what you're not hopefully going to do in your family. (laughs) Yeah. Because his big mistake as a father is that he played favorites and he, and then in verse three, it says he loved Joseph more than his other sons. And I think that's, you know, kind of what you're talking about is how does this fall on, on Jacob's shoulders? Um, and I think Jacob is responsible for the division that he created in his family. Um, and the hate that got birthed out of that because he loved Joseph more than his other sons because he then um, showed him favoritism through making the ornate robe. So there's all of these things that are just embedded, even in these first few verses uh, that that start to build the case for why hate got birthed in their heart in the first place. Um, yeah. So I, I I love that you pointed that out, that this is he has a responsibility for it. You have a responsibility. We have a responsibility for how we steward the next generation, whether we're parents, uncles, aunts, uh, mentors, friends, you know, we have a responsibility for that generation behind us. And yet they also have a responsibility too. So yes, yes, exactly. And I think, I think, you know, being able to embrace and that's going to be, I guess, the whole journey of, of parenthood or discipleship too. being able to embrace, um, your own, like where your responsibility breaks off from the responsibility of the person that you're leading and guiding. But I would never want it to be said that I expressed love toward one person and not toward another. And I just, the thought that I had is that Jacob was showing such a faulty view of God you know, he's presenting to his sons, this view that, that God would, would pick and choose. Um, and just thinking about the, that early childhood wounding, which is really hard to repair when you think that you've got to earn a place or you've got to fight for it when there isn't just this foundation of unconditional love. And so, you know, if, if God is intensely for and with and in, in love with each of us, like, how, you know, the question is to me, how can I model that to the people around me so that they would never think, um, that love is in question or God's love is in question. Um, and so just the sadness, I think of Jacob being even in this place, like in his life, you'd think he'd be at a more mature place where he'd be able to, to show God's love. And he's just, he's not imaging God the way that we would hope. 
Yeah. And that really impacts Joseph, who's only 17 when all of this starts to unfold. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if we think, okay, maybe back in that day, there's so much more responsibility. And yet developmentally, what we know about the brain and development of the brain is his brain is not done developing. So him acting immature, him gloating before his brothers, him, you know, enjoying his favorite status and going to dad and being like, Hey dad, they're, they're not doing their job out in the field. Just FYI, I thought I'd let you know, you know, that's, I think to be somewhat expected and, uh, it just, it just kind of keeps driving the wedge further and further. So it does. And I have a special sensitivity to it because I was the only child kind of goody two shoes. I was kind of a similar to Joseph kind of kid, you know, she's not doing the right thing, mom. He didn't get it, you know, and, and my parents would always say, stop, you know, they would, they were trying to quell me trying to improve my status. And now I look <laughs> at it. Oh gosh. Yeah. That was not very gracious. Yeah. So I kind of think Joseph's just the, yeah, he's, he's immature. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of circumstances that are going into this passage that lead back to, again, that word hate. So you kind of, you have this conversation with the Lord, you're identifying why hate matters and, um, and how that's impacting you as a mom who's stewarding these two little boys and leading them, uh, you know, desiring that they grow to be godly men and young men. And, um, so talk a little bit more about, is there, is there more to that for you? Like, is there something specific that the Lord was teaching you directly in this passage? Well, I I think so. I think if we look at verse chapter 37, kind of as a foundation for then the behaviors that, that follow in Joseph's story, um, something I wrote down that I felt God was impressing on me was that the absence of, of a firm grasp on your belovedness will lead to all sorts of sin. Mm. And we see that in Judah and we're going to see that in Joseph. We're going to see all of these choices of sinfulness that so much is rooted in this. They didn't have a firm grasp on just the, the love, not only of just like parental love, but the love of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Um, and so just kind of, I've been working through my own thoughts about, um, holy behavior and why God calls us to a standard. And it was a kind of a reminder that our holiness, our, our choice to walk toward God and away from sin really is, is, has to be rooted in that firmness that God loves us. It can't be, it can't be tethered to trying to perform or um, trying to run away from consequences. Those that will only get you so far. And so this idea that like, when I know how deeply and intensely I am beloved, that makes me long to be like God and long to be with him. And so that holy behavior is going to come, come naturally from that. Mm. So the belovedness was really kind of the piece that I think God spoke to me, which is not only do I want my boys to know that belovedness, but that's how I'm going to thrive in my walk is to know my belovedness in Christ. That's going to root me in, in becoming like him and in imaging this holy behavior that, you know, that we, that we say we want, 
but that can sometimes feel like a, a checklist yeah. and it's not a checklist when you know, like when you know that it's your best from the God who has the absolute best for you from the God who thinks nothing but the best of you. And, you know, I'm, I'm welling up today because my son is one year old and I'm just thinking about all of the affection and the, the way that I feel toward him and just imagining times 8 million that that's mm-hmm. what God has, has toward me. Yeah. That's, that's a beautiful image. Say you started out by saying that you had written down the absence of a firm grasp. Complete that. Say that one more time. Cause I thought that was really well said. The absence of a firm grasp on one's belovedness can lead to all sorts of sin. Mm. Yeah. I think we could sit there for a while and like, like you just did and think through, do we grasp our belovedness? Because I, I think you're right. I think the sin comes out of doubt, comes out of believing that either God doesn't have the best for us. He's withholding something from us. Um, and when we understand the father's love for us in that way that you're describing, when we don't grasp that, that, that truly is the root of where sin starts to take root and, and can start to, um, be a part of our lives and we don't want it to be. So it's beautifully said, is there anything that surprised you about this passage or the experience as you went through it? I was thinking about a little bit more about Joseph's dream and thinking, okay, how could Joseph, how could Jacob have responded better? I mean, obviously he could have set the groundwork by loving his sons equally, caring for them equally. That would have, that would have helped a lot. Uh, but also I thought, you know, so what do you do? I mean, I don't expect a prophecy over one of my sons versus the other. Um, that's pretty unique and rare. Um, but what if there was, you know, something given where we, I had some sense that one was called to something different than the other, you know, I I was starting to think through, okay, how is a parent, how should he have responded? Would it have been, um, trying to, you know, equate and trying to make them all like feel good about like, well, but you have something else. (laughs) And, And I kind of just realize that there's this, there's this interesting thing here going on in in Joseph's story where God's sovereignty really is choosing Joseph for some special things. Yeah. And if we try to aim for equality in the sense of like downplaying God's calling there, we're losing something there. And so really, I guess that's where I kind of was thinking the tension is holding on to this equal belovedness, but also letting it play out that God's sovereignty is so good and so multifaceted that he's going to bring about different, different plans for different people. And that is okay. And I think regularly, I'm not sure why, but there was this crucial moment, um, where I was reading, um, when Jesus, after the after the resurrection, he comes to his disciples and he's restoring um, Peter. And Peter says, well, what about, what about John? And, and Jesus says, don't worry about him. And I, I always think about that because we're so concerned with like, well, what about his calling? And, 
you know, I'm just thinking about Jacob could have said to the other sons, like, you are so loved. And, and this is an amazing story that you're this dream that, and, and this calling that your brother has, it doesn't diminish yours, but God, isn't it amazing that God has different plans and amazing plans and that he's going to sovereignly work it all together. And so just, just that kind of reminder of we're equally beloved, but in his sovereignty, he does have these different plans for us and kind of holding that intention. And the fact that sometimes in us, we compete, we want to, mm-hmm. we want to think that once so one person's calling's better. I'm tempted to think that, you know, so I wish I had that calling and I, <laughs> I wish I got to be the governor of whatever. That's amazing. But then just trusting, like, if God is completely for us, then what our assignments is, is going to be absolutely best for us is going to bring joy and flourishing. And like, can I, can I sit in that knowing what God hands me is good. Even if like, I look at something, I'm like, that seems better. No, what he gave you is the best, you know? And I, I think it's also really important to pause and notice the weight of the calling that, um, as we journey through this story and I'm, you know, guessing many people that are listening to this do know something of Joseph's story um, yes, he is called to save the entire nation of Israel, huge calling. And without him being perfectly positioned where he was, um, it wouldn't have happened. God would have had to find another way, I suppose. But the weight of that calling was devastating and in so many ways. And yet one of the things I love about Joseph is we see him choose to honor God, to trust God, um, to follow God when everything feels uncertain about his future. And so I think even as we're, we look around, cause I, we're people and we're tempted to do that. We're tempted to be like, oh man, look what she gets to do. Oh, look what he gets to do for God. That seems really cool. And yet we don't see all the behind the scenes, the pain, the hard, the, the weight of carrying some of those things, especially people that have public ministry in this day and age where there's, you know, celebrity Christians, I think we, we have no idea what goes in to the little pretty package that we get to see. We don't see all the stuff behind the scenes. So anyway, that's that's, a a good reminder too. (laughs) A hundred percent, a hundred percent. They, the joys and the sorrows that come with Mm -hmm. each calling. That's right. Don't always know. Yeah. Well, Kristen, I love just how the Lord led you in that and how you were able to help bring that uh, scripture to life for us. And as we unpacked where the Lord led you. So thank you so much for doing that journey and sharing that with us. One of the other things that's really important to me that people hear as they listen to this podcast is how people are creating space for God in their lives. And you have a lot going on in your life. You have two little boys and, um, anyone that has had little children or has little children remembers or understands the intensity of that season. Uh, there's no downtime ever. (laughs) Even when you think there's downtime, they wake up (laughs) and there's no downtime again. Um, and you're in a demanding leadership and uh, ministerial role at your church. So what are some ways that you have found to intentionally create space for God and cultivate that relationship in your life? What's been working for you in this season? Well, at home, 
very practically, it helps to keep my Bible open on a table that I pass by really frequently and regularly. I found that's kind of the easiest way for me um, to read a verse, take it with me, and kind of just work on that and, and meditate on that um, through my day. And so that's probably the, the best at home. Um, thankfully, I do have a job where I can kind of carve out my space. Um, it's not full of agenda items from other people. And so one of the most practical things is getting a planner that is a spiritually based planner. Mm. So I use something called sacred ordinary days, weekly planner, and it has an examine in in Mm. each week that kind of asks you questions about drawing near to God in various aspects of, of your life. Um, so I actually take a chunk, um, out of, out of my work week and it's actually, it's a little bit of a Sabbath practice because it's a little Mm. bit of a, oh my gosh, should I forsake this time to spend, you know, this is time that I could be spending doing other things. And yet it's proven to be really helpful for me as I process through what is God teaching me in various aspects of life. How can I just be reminded the first step in the examine that, that they use is like, just be present and remember God's nearness. Mm. I find when I set that side, that time aside, like it's so fulfilling that it kind of fuels the rest of, of my work week. I love it. I, I think an examine is a really amazing tool to use. And for people that don't know what an examine is, you can Google, uh, it's E X, uh, A M E N exam in, uh, and, uh, there's some questions. Usually you just kind of ask yourself at the same time during the day, you know, where did I sense God's presence? Where did I, um, where did I ignore God's presence? Where, where did I sense the fruit of the spirit? Where did I, you know, feel tempted to sin things like that. And there's, it, there's all kinds of different questions you can ask yourself in a daily examine, but that is a great tool, um, to use, to help you know where God's leading. Um, I've, I find examines really helpful for me when I'm at decision points. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can see kind of threaded day after day after day where God is, seems to, you know, there seems to be an arrow forming in a certain direction leading, in a new place. So I love that you use an examine. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yes. Okay. I've got a few quick questions, uh, and just answer how you feel led. Okay. Uh, so you, I feel closest to Jesus when lately it's been, uh, story encountering like redemptive themes in stories Mm, and other people's stories. Other people's, um, that's part of it because we're actually about to to do an event here where we're sharing testimonies. So that's been a piece of it. Also, maybe because, uh, I'm reading a lot of stories to my boys these days Mm -hmm. and I'm encountering all these like redemptive themes and just thinking about the way that the Holy spirit has woven, like longing for redemption into the human experience. And so when you see it and you think, oh my goodness, this is just, this is just one, um, one longing that like scripture describes and explains in its fullness. And so just kind of seeing 
um, that the world really does long and, and maybe not know that they long for Jesus, but that Jesus is, is the answer to all those, all those longings for redemption. Mm, I love it. Okay. One thing I learned in COVID was, well, taking care of, of two kids while trying to work, um, is okay. It's tricky, but it's given me a lot of kind of appreciation for the world before like the industrial revolution, when all of life was kind of overlapping. And so in some ways it's given me, it's, I've learned some flexibility and grace Hmm. in it. That's a very good thing to learn. Uh, one of my favorite things about working for and in the local church is, well, I love, um, connecting people. That's probably one of my favorite things is hearing stories and being able to, to see how, like in God's sovereignty, he's overlapping people and, and being able to be the agent of, Hey, you need to know this person and you need to hear this story and that story. And so I think being on staff, you're the front line of getting to know a lot of details about people that others don't. So being a connector is one of my favorite things. I love that. Well, thank you, Kristen. It has been just so fun to have this conversation with you. I've loved it. Well, I want to invite you to join me next week. We're going to be exploring Genesis 39, where Joseph's story takes a bit of an unexpected and pretty hard turn. (laughs) Um, As a reminder, this series lines up with the Bible Study Trust, a study of Joseph for persevering through life's challenges. And there will be a link in the show notes for you. Uh, And you can absolutely listen to this podcast without the study, but I do recommend it as a way to go deeper in your walk with the Lord and another tool for learning from the story of Joseph and how his story can inform our life and our relationship with the Lord as well. So thanks for joining me on so much more where Jesus does have so much more to say to us. And we are creating space to listen. The content we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. If we feed our minds the lies and confusion of this world, our lives will begin to reflect worldliness. But if we feed our minds the truth of the gospel, our lives will start to reflect the heart and character of Jesus. I'm John Stonge, and each week I host the Dwell on These Things podcast, where we take a deep look at the Word of God and learn what it means to apply it to our lives. We don't skip difficult passages, and we don't gloss over the truth. If you're looking for a show that will put your mind in a better place and help you understand God's Word with more clarity, you can listen to the Dwell on These Things podcast at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.